Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 84, Wait Patiently on the Lord. All right, I just need you guys to witness and be proud with me that I had the option right now, it's early in the morning, to either go lay back down or to get this recorded so you guys can have it before uh, the morning is over. And so I just want you to know that I chose you <laughs> and I did not get back in bed, which you, if you know me, you know that I am a sleeper and I am not an early riser. So um, I just am proud of myself and I want you guys to be proud of me too. <laughs> All right, so this week we are talking about Exodus chapter 19. Well, the Come Follow Me is 18 through 20, but we're going to focus on chapter 19. In chapter 19, the Israelites are invited to do things to prepare to come into the presence of the Lord. In verse 5, it says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. The biblical definition of peculiar is different than our definition of peculiar. And I know I've grown up in the church hearing that we are to be a peculiar people and that being described as, you know, we're kind of weird or different, which I think that that also applies. But really, the biblical definition doesn't mean that. The Old Testament student manual says today the word peculiar is used to mean something different and unusual. Since Israel was to be a peculiar people in this sense also, Exodus 19 verse 5 and similar scriptures are often read in that way. The original word in both Hebrew and Greek, however, means property, wealth, private property, which is laid up or reserved. The leading idea is select, precious, endeared, something exceedingly prized and sedulously preserved. So that means something totally different. It means that they are to be a prized, special treasure unto the Lord, and that's what we are intended to be as well. So the Lord, on condition of their righteousness, is promising that they will be his people, his his possession, which typically might have a negative connotation to be someone's uh, possession, someone's someone's treasure that they, they own. But remember that the difference here is that they are getting to choose that. So they're using their agency to become that treasure. So it's not that the Lord is claiming them no matter what they choose as as his own to use for what what he will he is using them and he's using us as we choose to be his treasure his peculiar people in response to this command from the lord the people say all the lord has spoken we will do and because of the people's willingness to do as he asked the lord offers them a special privilege of seeing him as moses has been able to do verse 9 And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today, and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not be in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up upon the mount. So the Lord has outlined what the people need to do in order to qualify for this incredible privilege. And one of those qualifications is that they need to stay within the physical bounds that the Lord has set around Mount Sinai in order to see him. 
Do you notice the symbolism of what we do in the temple? We covenant with the Lord, we make promises and prepare to enter into the presence of the Lord, right? Isn't that cool? I love when I find symbolism in the scriptures that makes it obvious why we do certain things in the temple. I just think it's really cool. Unfortunately, the people don't end up qualifying for this. They did wash their clothes and they were ready on the third day. When they woke up, there was obvious signs that something crazy was happening on Mount Sinai. There was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud and a loud voice of a trumpet. And that sight was so intense that the people were trembling. And Moses brings the people out of their camp and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And the mountain was entirely surrounded by smoke because the Lord was coming. And it says that the Lord descended upon it in a fire and the whole mountain shook. So as the trumpet got louder and longer, Moses was called to the top of the mount. And at this point, remember that Moses has been commanded to create a border around the mountain and commanded the people should not go beyond that border. When Moses went up to the Lord, the Lord immediately told him to go back down and warn the people not to break through the barrier because they were going to die. And remember the, (laughs) I was going to say symbolism, but really actually the physical reality that they would die because no unclean thing can enter into the presence of the Lord. And in disobeying the Lord's command, they would not be qualified and therefore would die. At first, Moses seems to defend them, saying, they're not coming up. We set up a border. But the Lord tells Moses to away, get down. So he's saying, hurry up. They're they're really not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So in this, we see that the people didn't qualify to see the Lord. And it was a protective act from the Lord, keeping them from his presence, which would kill them since they weren't worthy. And eventually, that protection will apply to us as well. We will not be allowed to enter into the presence of the Lord unless we are actually worthy. So what are we commanded to do in order to eventually qualify to enter into the presence of the Lord? What are our covenants? What are the qualifications for entering into the presence of the Lord? And obviously I could go into a big, giant, long list here of every commandment and everything that we should or shouldn't be doing. So what I'm going to do is I just want to go through the first principles and ordinances of the gospel as described in the Articles of Faith. So first, of course, we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I actually want to revisit that one at the end, so put a pin on that one. Second, the most often repeated command in all of Scripture is to repent. Repentance implies that we will continually mess up. It's baked into the plan, and you messing up, you sinning, doesn't screw the plan up as long as you keep sincerely repenting and try to keep your trajectory moving toward the Lord. Your being worthy of entering into the presence of the Lord never had anything at all to do with perfection. Worthiness is inseparably intertwined with repentance. Since it's not possible for us not to mess up, it's also not possible for us to live a life worthy of the Lord's presence without repenting. So isn't that so merciful, so wonderful that that was just baked into the plan that we were never expected to not mess up. In fact, we are supposed to mess up. It makes us grow and it helps us progress. So repentance. All right. Third, baptism. We must be baptized because we are commanded to. I remember thinking as a child that it seems a little arbitrary, except for I probably didn't think the word arbitrary, (laughs) that the simple act of dunking someone under the water is so important. Why? Isn't what's happening inside of me, if I have a good soft heart, way more important than making sure that I got dunked? 
We are commanded to be baptized in order to follow the Savior's example. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, Jesus is about to be baptized by John the Baptist. And Jesus answering him said unto him, Suffer it be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus explains here that in order to fulfill all righteousness, we have to fulfill this commandment of baptism. Jesus, the sinless man, in order to remain sinless, had to be baptized. Commandments like this sometimes are my favorite because they are the ones that don't make a whole lot of logical sense. It's a command we fulfill because the Lord has asked us to, not because it makes sense. It's not like the command to love one another or read our scriptures. We can logically understand the benefits that will come from things like that. We get baptized simply because it is a command. And of course, it symbolizes our our spiritual rebirth. In being baptized, we enter into covenants with the Lord. Gospel Topic says, Those who are baptized enter into a covenant with God to take upon themselves the name of Jesus Christ, keep his commandments, and serve him to the end. All right, then we have fourth, the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's pretty profound that this is considered one of the first four principles of the gospel and emphasizes to us how important the Holy Ghost is. The Holy Ghost's purpose is to witness of truth, facilitate us receiving gifts of the Spirit. He can comfort us and sanctify us. He confirms priesthood ordinances are valid and acceptable before God as the Holy Spirit of promise. Gospel Topic says, The gift of the Holy Ghost is different from the influence of the Holy Ghost. Before baptism, a person can feel the influence of the Holy Ghost from time to time, and through that influence can receive a testimony of truth. After receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, a person has the right to constant companionship of that member of the Godhead if he or she keeps the commandments. President Nelson told us in his first general conference as prophet, In coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. All right, let's now revisit the very first principle of the gospel, now that we've covered some of the qualifications set by the Lord in order to enter into his presence. And there certainly is a reason that it's considered the first, first faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else beyond that hinges on it, and a lack of it is the reason why the Israelites weren't able to enter into the presence of the Lord. They didn't trust that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Instead, at least some of them were trying to break through that barrier. Can you can you even imagine doing that? After everything you had seen, you couldn't muster up enough faith to be patient and wait on the Lord? What do you think that they were thinking? Maybe, why does Moses get to go up there and we don't? What if it doesn't happen? This might be our only chance to see what's behind the smoke. Maybe some of them started out being willing to wait, but then were derailed by other people starting to go try and get through the boundary, and then it made them want to go too. Maybe some of those people trying to get through the boundary mocked the people who were trying to do as they were they were asked. Maybe they said, don't be stupid. Come, let's make sure that we are the ones who get to see the proof. This all being said, we don't know exactly what happened or why they couldn't just be patient and do as the Lord commanded. And maybe if we were there in the moment, maybe it would have made logical sense to us. Maybe we would have been convinced that we needed to try and push the boundary. But in hindsight, looking from the outside as someone who wasn't there, doesn't it seem so incredibly short-sighted and silly? 
All they had to do was wait and have faith. And this was all after they had seen so much. You would think that all of their doubt or feeling to need to prove the Lord would have been long gone after everything that they had been through with him. And this is yet another example that miracles do not produce lasting faith. Proof does not produce lasting faith. Faith has to come from someplace deeper than our minds. It has to come from a changed heart, a heart that's soft enough to allow that powerful witness from the Holy Ghost. President Joseph Fielding Smith said, Through the Holy Ghost, the truth is woven into every fiber and sinew of the body so that it cannot be forgotten. Waiting on the Lord involves incredible amounts of faith, waiting for answers, waiting for deliverance, waiting for the Lord to come. The entire history and future of the world is a story of waiting and fulfillment, both broadly for the human family and personally. Paul tells us in Hebrews eleven thirteen that all the great believers in the history of the world died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. They died waiting on the Lord, which sounds maybe dramatic, but we are told that our time here on the earth is unimaginably short once we have perspective to see eternity. After our short blip here on the earth, which (laughs) that actually makes it sound insignificant, it certainly isn't since we're taught that in Alma 34-32 that this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. After our relatively short time here on earth, wouldn't it be so frustrating to look back on our life and realize that we were like the Israelites who were too impatient, too faithless, too short-sighted to see that the Lord is actually excitedly waiting to reveal all things? Second Nephi 27 verse 11, And the day cometh that the words of the book which were sealed shall be read upon the housetops, and they shall be read by the power of Christ. And all things shall be revealed unto the children of men, which ever have been among the children of men, which ever will be, even unto the end of the earth. I feel an anxiousness around me in the church. People are anxious for proof, for expanding revelation to help dispel their confusion and doubt as the philosophies of men and ultimately Satan are making so many believe that evil is good and good is evil. And it's always interesting to me to notice that I'm pretty sure the Lord doesn't count us worthy to receive expanded revelation if we are waiting impatiently instead of patiently. I feel people devaluing and mocking the principle of faith as they allow that faith to be drowned in their own wisdom. Worldly wisdom that flatter our hearts, telling us that it is compassion to say that there is no sin. Are we short-sightedly choosing to abandon the instruction we've been given? Instruction that we've been promised will lead us to all the answers and into the presence of the Father? Are we, like the Israelites, following our anxious, frustrated emotion, mistrusting the Lord's timeline and His wisdom? Are we willing to wait till He says that we are ready to have more, to have absolute knowledge? Or will we abandon faith and plow forward into spiritually dangerous areas till we arrive at the barrier with more self-righteous conviction than the measure of faith that would be capable of holding us back from hurling ourselves recklessly beyond that barrier set by the Lord? A barrier intended to keep the Israelites from physical death, and for us, barriers that are intended to keep us from spiritual death. Robert D. Hells said, What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? In the scriptures, the word wait means to hope 
to anticipate, to trust. To hope and trust in the Lord requires faith, patience, humility, meekness, long-suffering, keeping the commandments, and enduring to the end. To wait upon the Lord means planting the seed of faith and nourishing it. It means praying, as the Savior did, to God our Heavenly Father, saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It is a prayer we offer with our whole souls in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Waiting upon the Lord means pondering in our hearts and receiving the Holy Ghost, so that we can know all things that we should do. As we follow the promptings of the Spirit, we discover that tribulation worketh patience, and we learn to continue in patience until we are perfected. Waiting upon the Lord means to stand fast and press forward in faith, having a perfect brightness of hope. It means relying alone upon the merits of Jesus Christ, and with His grace assisting us, saying, Thy will be done, O Lord, not ours. As we wait upon the Lord, we are immovable in keeping the commandments, knowing that one day we will rest from our afflictions. And we cast not away our confidence, and all things wherewith we have been afflicted shall work together for our good. May we wait upon him by pressing forward in faith that we may say, Thy will be done, and return to him with honor. Next, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, My beloved brothers and sisters, please understand that he who never sleeps nor slumbers cares for the happiness and ultimate exaltation of his children above all else that a divine being has to do. He is pure love, gloriously personified, and merciful Father is his name. Well, if this is the case, you may say, shouldn't his love and mercy simply part our personal Red Sea and allow us to walk through our troubles on dry ground? Shouldn't he send 21st century seagulls winging in from somewhere to gobble up our pesky 21st century crickets? The answer to such questions is, yes, God can provide miracles instantaneously. But sooner or later, we learn that the times and seasons of our mortal journey are his and his alone to direct. He administers that calendar to every one of us individually. For every infirm man healed instantly as he waits to enter the pool of Bethesda, someone else will spend 40 years in the desert waiting to enter the promised land. For every Nephi and Lehi divinely protected by an encircling flame of fire for their faith, we have an Abinadi burned at the stake of flaming fire for his. And we remember that the same Elijah who in an instant called down fire from heaven to bear witness against the priest of Baal is the same Elijah who endured a period where there was no rain for years and who, for a time, was fed only by the skimpy substance that could be carried by a raven's claw. By my estimation, that can't have been anything we would call a happy meal. The point? The point is that faith means trusting in God in good times and bad even if that includes some suffering until we see his arm revealed in our behalf. That can be difficult in our modern world when we may have come to believe that the highest good in life is to avoid all suffering, that no one should ever anguish over anything, but that belief will never lead us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. My beloved brothers and sisters, Christianity is comforting, but it is not often comfortable. The path to holiness and happiness here and the hereafter is long and sometimes rocky. It takes time and tenacity to walk it, but of course the reward for doing so is monumental. The truth is taught clearly and persuasively in the 32nd chapter of Alma in the Book of Mormon. There this great high priest teaches that if the word of God is planted in our hearts as a mere seed, and if we care enough to water, weed, nourish, and encourage it, it will in the future bear fruit which is most precious, sweet above all that is sweet, the consuming of which leads to a condition of no more thirst and no hunger. Many lessons are taught in this remarkable chapter, but central to them all is the axiom that the seed has to be nourished and we must wait for it to mature. We look forward with an eye of faith to the fruit thereof. Our harvest, Alma says, comes by and by, 
Little wonder that he concludes his remarkable instruction by repeating three times a call for diligence and patience in nurturing the word of God in our hearts, waiting, as he says, with long-suffering for the tree to bring forth fruit unto you. We've been given the same promise that the Israelites were given. We don't have Mount Sinai thundering in front of us, shaking the earth and covered in a cloud of smoke, clearly caused by an all-powerful God. But we have something that may seem more subtle, but in reality is just as, no, more miraculous than any physical miracle the Israelites witnessed. We have the grand story of the human family behind us, enough of which is given to us in the scriptures to validate through a witness of the Holy Ghost to any humble and sincere heart that although we don't understand everything right now, there is no possibility that everything from the beginning to end fits this perfectly without veracity. As we read the scriptures, study the gospel of Jesus Christ, and receive a witness from the Holy Ghost, we have been taught that that witness is stronger and more sustaining than any physical miracle we read of. My prayer today is that you and I can have enough faith in the Lord that we are restrained from breaking through the bounds of the mount because of our faith in his perfect plan and wisdom, trusting that he knows what we are ready to be accountable for, trusting that he knows best, that his commandments can be trusted, and that the only plan for true happiness is based on the truth that he prescribes. Enough so that we are willing to follow, to go and do, to wait for the Lord to reveal himself, reveal everything at that perfect day. Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 50, verse 24. That which is of God is light. And he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light, and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I'm not really sure how that's going to sound on your guys' end. On my end, as I'm recording, there's a slight weird something, feedback coming from the microphone. I don't think it'll be super obvious, so I'm going to go ahead and publish, but I'll buy a new microphone by next week, so you won't have to keep listening to that. All right, see you next week.